Good morning, boys and girls, and welcome to Grease the Wheels. I am your Uncle Jimmy. I'm sitting behind a microphone at the Rock and Roll Garage, barking out shit for you to listen to on a Thursday out there in Greasy Wheels Nation. Oh, you're in twisted mofos out there. Hey, listen, I want to say thanks for what you do, man. Thanks, seriously, for what you do. Even if you're not a man, I appreciate I I got to say, I especially appreciate it if you're not a man. Listen, you keep the planet moving. Keep it warm. Keep it cool. Keep it lit. You make a whole bunch of shit happen that would not fucking happen without you. So I appreciate it. Then thank you. I appreciate it and thank you. How about that shit? All at the same time. Hey, I want to talk to you today about conflict at work. Yeah, we all have to deal with it. We all have to deal with it. Especially, I think, in our profession, I think we get uh, we get a double helping of it. We get a lot of it. A lot. Simply because of what we do. The one thing that I think that adds to conflict at the workplace is the uh, sheer unknown quantity and quality of what we're going to have to do uh, every day, every day. Seriously, I mean, uh, as far as it goes, as far as what goes on where I work, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing one day to the next. None. I know I can do it. That's probably the only thing that really helps me remain viable as a mechanic. I have no idea what's coming in, but I do have an idea how to fix all of it, pretty much. So, and I think a lot of you feel the same way. I mean, it's like you roll into work and you could conceivably be working on literally anything that day. Especially if you work in an independent shop. I think some of you guys out there work on shit you have no idea even existed. And if it has some sort of an engine or a motor to it, you're expected to be able to figure out why the fuck it doesn't work and what you need to do to get it to work. And I would imagine that probably a lot of you are successful in the 80 to 90% range and maybe even up to 100. Who knows? Maybe you can literally fix everything. Kudos to you, and uh, I appreciate that. But one of the things that goes on is that you typically don't work alone, do you? No, you don't. And then there's always a lot of other people involved. And in some cases, some of the shops that I have visited, uh, especially recently and and across the, the span of my employment, deployment, <laughs> uh, would be... <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it out across the span of my career. I don't know if I want to call it a career. I mean, it started out as a lot guy, you know, would you you call that the start of a career? Fuck no, you wouldn't. (laughs) Being a lot guy is like being a booger. You're on everybody's finger where they can't get you off. (laughs) It's terrible. Oh, what a terrible analogy too. Welcome to the morning podcast. I don't do these in the morning very often, but I'm going to be out of town this week. So I wanted to get it out of the way. And Eric's going to be happy because he could edit this at his leisure instead of having to edit it with a serious time constraint. So anyway, I'm back to the subject at hand talking about conflict. Jesus, seriously, you don't start a career as a lot guy and expect it to go anywhere. At least I wouldn't, although I did. Okay, but I, when I was, uh, what was I, 18, 19? Yeah, I was probably 18 or 19 years old and did that for a few, just a few months is all. And uh, it was as horrible as you can imagine, really. If you've never done it, uh, don't wish that on your worst enemy, seriously. Uh, a lot of guys, uh, eh, I don't even know what to say about them. It's just a shitty, shitty job where you're under the thumb of every other cocksucker in the dealership or the building that you work in and... Uh, that's not a great place to be, and that can create some conflict. Although, when you're, uh, you know, when you're one of these uh, super expendable employees, you know, they they hire them in the by the dozens, and then just sort through them until they get a good one. No, uh, moving on. When we talk about workplace conflict, uh, typically what we're talking about is two things: your behavior and everybody's behavior towards you. 
Now, the more people you have, obviously, the more opportunities you have to have workplace conflict. It happens all the time. You know, you work with one, two, three people, four people. It's it's going to be a lot easier to get along with a smaller group of people and even individually than it would be if you worked in a shop where there's 50 technicians and three service managers and 14 service writers and eight parts guys and unfortunately six lot guys or whatever. You know, you have anytime you work with a lot of people, you are actually multiplying the opportunities to have workplace conflict especially in the field that you and I are in and really any field where uh, people have to bring skills to bear to fix things because a lot of times we bring with us a personality that is uh, well let's just put it this way let me just be let me let me just shoot point blank here sometimes you have a coarse and abrasive personality as a technician I know I certainly do at times and uh, I find it uh, it works for me to help keep people away from me at times Okay, I can uh, I can sort out who I'm nice to and who I'm not nice to, and so my personality works either for me or against me, and uh, which is which is nice because I use my personality for a lot of different things, including birth control, and it's been 100 percent effective to be honest with you. And at work, I can also use it to keep people I don't want to fuck with or I don't want to fuck with me away from me, okay? and other people who. Uh, who I do like and and do consider useful, intelligent, friendly people. I can keep them closer to me by behaving in a way that allows them to, uh, you know, somewhat manipulate me in a friendly way. I don't want to say that uh, they're using me, that they're human trafficking me, but, uh, you know, I I make myself available to help them out. And and some of them take advantage of that, which is fine, which which is perfectly fine, okay? But I have to decide... For myself, and you have to decide for yourself too. How much? Really, this is this is what it comes down to when we talk about conflict in the workplace. How much shit are you willing to put up with? And it depends entirely on who is asking you to put up with what shit. Now, uh, I did find an article about how to handle workplace conflict, and uh, there was a lot of different uh, input here. I thought it was pretty good, although I have to give you my standard grease the wheels warning. Uh, This is an article that was written for people who uh, wear a shirt and tie to work and sit in crispy, cool air conditioning all day long and sit in a cubicle and have pictures of their cat in a wall and, you know, that kind of shit, you know. They're not dealing with the physical labor aspect of a job like ours or yours if your job has a physical uh, component to it. You know, you could be a lot of different things that aren't being a mechanic, but there's a physical sort of a uh, component to what you do. And uh, that always, believe it or not, helps to create conflict because anytime you have to do something physical, you are going to find people who are supposed to do it with you or should or could help you are going to weasel out of it like a bunch of fucking little babies with no goddamn arms or a t-rex with little short arms they're just gonna be like ah i can't do that ah there's just just a lot of conflict with that if i have to do something physical and somebody else never has to do something physical i may get physical with them i may go over and just uh uh, give them a, a few bruises about the head and neck area. That's one of the things that causes a conflict is just the fact that the job is physical and that some people, if they don't have to do it, they won't. And if they can't do it, they can't do it. And if they do do it, they're going to be uh, pressed into service to do it more often than the other people who are fucking worthless at it. So is your job contains a physical component. And I would dare say that any real type of mechanic, no matter really what you work on, what you fix, what you repair, what you diagnose, is going to be a, a certain amount of, of physical activity involved with that. 
right? Like I've, you know, just as an example, if I got a flat tire in a car, which God damn it seems to be the only fucking thing I've been doing lately is fixing fucking tires. God damn it. What the fuck is going on out there? I mean, like we, we'll bring in seriously like, you know, 40, 50, 60 cars a day and three quarters of my swear to God need a fucking tire. One motherfucking tire. You know, you're not getting anywhere doing one fucking tire. It doesn't pay shit and it's physical as shit and it sucks and the tire machine's always fucking scummy, dirty, filthy, which I'll get to later. And and, and it, it doesn't make you any money. It just doesn't make you any money. It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't make anybody happy because it's just right down the line. Everybody checks off the box. We're all unhappy about that. The customer, the advisor, me, the fucking place I work, the people who make the fucking tires, the people who pave the roads. We're all fucking unhappy about that. We don't like it. But the physical component aside, this is actually a pretty good list. Now, I just skimmed it really cool. You know my style. I don't like to read too much if I don't have to. <laughs> I want to see books with pictures in them. I'm a big coffee table book kind of a guy that way. But uh, this one, I, I did skim it to see if it was going to be any good for us. And I knew that I was going to have to go through and modify some of their answers and some of their tips to kind of uh, cater it to our end of the workday of, of the employment type that we're in. Okay. So you'll hear some of that shit throughout this. This is a little article that says how to handle workplace conflict with tips and examples. It's a common, it's common to experience conflict in an office setting. Let me change that for you, boys and girls. It's common to experience conflict in a shop setting when you're interacting with a variety of personalities and roles. Yes, it's the same if you say shop instead of office, except, and I will, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. There is a greasy, grimy, fucking less intelligent version of an employee in a shop than in an office. You have it, you just have a different type of person. Obviously, the guy behind the microphone is a fucking shining example of that, okay? Uh, you're going to experience conflict, and I would dare say that in a shop setting, you are going to experience massive conflict just to add an adjective to that okay uh how you manage conflict is important in being an effective team player <sighs> okay sure uh and we're you know as mechanics and and i've seen this in, in a few places uh people are always divided up into teams for some reason it's somehow it makes us more manageable uh with, with, and <laughs> which is funny because and in my experience, uh, management is not able to do anything anyway, regardless of how many fucking teams there are. And uh, let me put this out there. If you work flat rate, you are a fucking team of one. You have to do what you do, and you have to do it as efficiently, as quickly as you possibly can to get paid the maximum amount of money. And no fucking team system in the world is going to be able to fix that for you. I mean, they might help you with something. They might help you take exhaust off a car or move a, move a car into the shop or out of the the shop or you know i mean there's things that your fellow employees can help you with sure there's all kinds of things they can help you with but are they gonna know are they gonna want to no fuck that they're not gonna want to okay so there you know sometimes you'll experience some conflict there uh the, i think the one difference and, and let me just point this out real quick before i get too far here one of the differences between a conflict in the office and a conflict in the shop is the language Oh my God, if you're in an office and you have a conflict with somebody, you know, you might say, you know, you better stop eating my lunch. I wrote my name on it and everything. Quit eating it. Eh, you know, and there are, dude, seriously, there are humongous amounts of posts and on Reddit and Instagram and Twitter and, and everywhere else you go about people who go to work, bring food with them, write their name on it and everything, and then other people fucking eat it. I myself personally can't 
can't even fathom that. I would never do that. First off, you don't know who's, I mean, it says right on whose food it is, but you have no idea what their conditions are like at home, who made that food, what ingredients were used. If it's any good at all, you're just you're just really rolling the fucking dice. If you take some something out of a refrigerator that's somebody else's lunch, and you you chow down on it, okay? Now you would like to think that, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because of where I'm going to go with this, but you know, you can assume uh, that somebody you know took the time and the energy to make something that is delicious or good for you or both and then threw it in a Tupperware container wrote their name on it and threw it in the fridge you could do that all day long but what if you worked with like a member of the Adams family and you found out that that was a, a minced bat sandwich or some shit i mean just some crap that you would never fucking eat and if you knew actually what it was you'd probably puke blood for days on end so <laughs> I don't understand how how and or why people do that. It's terrible. And then, of course, when you read these, it's always about how somebody got revenge on somebody who was constantly eating their sandwich, and they stuffed it full of, you know, uh, fucking X-lax or a laxative or something. I read one where a guy, uh, he had almond milk in the fridge and his and one of the other guys kept drinking it and he knew who it was but he said something to him he said oh it was me it wasn't me uh. and so he changed that milk that almond milk with regular milk and he found out that you know when he as soon as he found out the guy was lactose intolerant he just swapped it out with regular milk and the guy drank it and he had he had serious digestive problems for like the next two days and he was mad at that dude he said fuck you you were drinking my shit you asshole obviously you got what you deserve you fuck wad so conflict conflict can arise from stupid shit like that uh and that's pretty much i gotta be honest with you i mean unless you smell really bad or you listen to music too loud or you you talk like an asshole like your uncle jimmy does what kind of conflict can you have in an office ah, not that much okay i don't think i think if you know if you if you go to work and you dress nice and you come home dressed nice and you still smell fairly decent when you get home from work and you didn't get dirty and the people you work with are the same way and maybe some of them aren't that friendly so you just don't talk to them ah i think i can handle that okay when we're talking about conflict in a shop boys and girls i i I throw myself right at the absolute top of this list, but we are, honestly, some of the most obnoxious motherfuckers that God has ever foisted onto this planet. We are just terrible human beings at times. And myself included, I'm a fucking asshole sometimes. Uh, and I, I rail against the people I work with, and I'll say bad things about them, but usually right to them. Okay, that's the difference. I'm not going to stab somebody in the back. I'm going to turn around and stab them right in a the fucking ear hole. Conflict in the, in the shop? Yeah. It's much nastier and dirtier and obscene than in uh, an office. So with that in mind, and if you're not familiar with it, if you work in a shop where everybody is just really nice and everybody's friendly and everything always goes your way and everybody has manners and they're polite and, and they don't talk about you behind your back and they help you out and everybody makes a lot of money and I would like to know where that fucking shop is because I don't think it fucking exists. It just isn't out there. Because of the unknown quantity of what we're going to have to do, because of the lack of air conditioning or the lack of heat or because of the lack of tools or the fact that tools are missing or gone or broken. I mean, there's a fucking list as long as your arm of shit that's going to cause conflict in a shop. And we're not even beginning to talk about the actual individual personalities of the people in it. Conflict in the shop can start everywhere. And typically it starts when the lights get clicked on and the air compressor fires up and the doors get open and the customers start fucking rolling in that's where it starts how it ends up 
you've heard me say it before, and, and I really feel like this is true, is that when you work in a shop of any kind, really, whether it's an independent shop or whether it's a dealership, and, and it doesn't even really matter what size it is, is the, it, every shop has a, a level of chaos to it. There is a level of chaos to it where nothing's going to go right, everything's going to go wrong. You have no idea what's coming in the door. You have no idea if you can fix it. You have no idea if you're going to be able to get the fucking parts. You have no idea if you're going to be smart enough to fix it right the first time. You don't have any idea how this works or that works or how this got broken or how that got broken. You don't have any idea what the service advisor wrote on the RO. You don't have any idea what the customer said. You have no idea what the real fucking problem is. Why are they complaining about this when obviously this is fucking wrong? Why are they complaining about that as if it's like a warranty situation where they're obviously they're the ones who fuck it up there's just so many things in a shop that you don't have in an office that can cause workplace conflict and one of them is us you know uh, honestly i feel like uh, most technicians are people who learn how to do what they do by either doing it or watching somebody else do it. I don't really think that, that there's a lot of people who can effectively, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to try to disparage everybody here. Let me just point this out, okay? Uh, I'm kind of like this. If I have to read something, whether it's a service bulletin or perhaps a, a repair manual about how to fix something, I have to read it. I can visualize in my mind what they're talking about, but it's almost never what it ends up turning out to be. I have to actually do it. It's better if I could see somebody do it. It's better if I could see pictures of it. So there's something else that can cause a conflict because when you try to explain to somebody what you want done, they're like, da what? And I'm like that. I will freely admit it. If I read a a repair line on a, uh, a repair order, and it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense, or grammatically it's wrong, or or if it's not something that can be done, uh, there's there's a million reasons why, or, or, and you know this to be true. There's a million reasons why what is written on a repair order is just garbage, nonsense, bullshit, stupid, not correct, whatever. Then the, the conflict starts there. It starts with the customers, and believe me, there are customers who roll in, and I, I think I don't know as if they enjoy it so much but they they and maybe they're not familiar with it but i think in a lot of cases they really actually are familiar with the fact that what they're fucking saying makes no fucking sense and then that can cause conflict because then you get a a service advisor who says they know what they want they know what the customer wants but they can't they can't articulate it to you as a technician and then you go and you do what you think they want and it isn't and that's because what they want either makes no sense or isn't the proper repair or has nothing to do with the repair that they actually fucking need. Let me dive into this list, okay? Because I think that if you work as a technician, you are definitely, if you've been in a place more than, I think, two weeks, really, it, it doesn't take long for conflict to rise up and start smacking you about the head and neck area. You don't you don't need me to tell you that that's true, although I just spent a good five minutes trying to <laughs> describe it to you. How to handle conflict in the workplace. Employers are increasingly prioritizing applicants with emotional intelligence. Uh, no, no, they're not, okay? Uh, and now that may be true for, uh, you know, an insurance adjuster or an office manager or something like that. But employers, in our particular case, as automotive technicians and as really as technicians of any type, to be honest with you, employers are not increasingly prioritizing application with emotional intelligence. They don't even give a flying fuck about the emotional state of any of the employees they have. They just need people who are going to be able to fix cars 
effectively. If they have emotional intelligence, well, then that's just a bonus. And they're probably not going to partake of any of this emotional intelligence anyway, because they're not going to fucking listen to us. Once they hire us, they don't listen to us. They don't give a fuck about us. Employers are increasingly prioritizing applicants with emotional intelligence. And it goes on to say, because employees with strong soft skills and interpersonal ability are more likely to work well as part of a team. Well, that part I can agree with, the second part of that sentence. Employees with, so, with soft skills, I'm not sure what they're talking about. Maybe it's ED. I don't know. I don't have that problem, so I don't have strong soft skills. My skills are hard. And uh, employee because employees with strong soft skills and interpersonal ability are more likely to work well as part of a team. Well, yes, I do agree with the second half of that. They're more likely to work well as part of a team. But you are not going to find a single fucking technician in the fucking world who is going to say to you or that you're going to walk away with the feeling that they have emotional intelligence. I'm not even sure what that fucking means. Emotional intelligence. They're smart. They don't They don't swear at things. And, and, and they, they understand that everything happens for a reason. I mean, I don't know what emotional intelligence is. I can tell you one thing. I ain't got any of it. So go fuck yourself. Can I be employed? Hell yeah. You know why? Because I can do the fucking job. And I may not have, I may not. Be, work well as part of a team or i may i may be a team of one i work well that way uh if i was part of a team yeah i might work well with other people as long as they work well with me as long as they don't disparage me too much as long as they uh, are a, capable of helping me in a manner in which i would help them okay sure it's got to be give and take tit for tat and then i'm not going to make a comment i'm just going to keep on going Here's what else it says. It is advisable to remember the following emotionally intelligent habits. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not read that before I read it. It is advisable to remember the following emotionally intelligent habits when answering conflict interview questions. Conflict interview questions. Oh, okay. Most of the interviews I've been in, they ask you direct questions. Uh, and, and as mechanics, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they go, hey, do you know how to fix AC systems? And you either say yes or no. Okay, there's no emotional intelligence involved with that. Have you ever had an engine apart? Yeah, well, I take them apart all the time. Have you ever put one back together again? Um, well, uh, uh, you got to get the answers. No, because uh, I'll tell you this right now. The industry that we're in uh, has a whole shit house of people in it who can take shit apart. Put it back together again? Eh, not so skilled at that. Got to be able to put it back together again. Uh, emotional intelligence, I don't need that nearly as much as I need people who can put things back together again correctly. I don't know what you would call that. Maybe a uh, a mechanical intelligence. That's probably a very good description of what I just said. Mechanical intelligence, sure, that's what you need. And you know what? If you're fucking listening to this right now, if you're out there with the earbuds in your ear hole and maybe you got a Bluetooth speaker going or maybe you're in a car and you're listening to this, you probably have mechanical intelligence. You can look at something and go, yeah, that ain't right. And then you can go, here's what I got to do to fix it. And then you get somebody to eventually pay you to fix it and you go ahead and fix it and it fucking starts working again. Holy shit. I take that over emotional intelligence every day because as far as I'm concerned, the shop is full of emotions, but not touchy-feely type of emotions like you'd see in a cubicle farm. Okay, so how to handle conflict in the worst place, in the the worst. (laughs) That's quite the Freudian slip there, Uncle Jimmy. Thank you very much. Uh, How to handle conflict in the workplace, and and what I popped out of my, what popped out of my pie hole is how to handle conflict in the worst place, (laughs) which sometimes for you fuckers is the workplace. The workplace is the worst place. Uh, Sounds like a song almost. Okay, number one, 
moving on here instead of being a jackass all day long. Number one, foster relationships with colleagues. Well, okay, sure. Uh, you know, you could become friends with people at work, and it happens on a fairly regular basis, but you're really only going to foster relationships with people that you like, right? Right. And everybody else that you may not like or has done something heinous to you, uh, whether it be major or minor, uh, you're not going to want to foster a relationship with them. You're going to want to punch them in the face and and uh, eat their fucking <laughs> eat their lunch <laughs> and throw the container away. That might piss them off more than eating their lunch. Fostering a relationship with colleagues, sure, it's a good idea. Uh, it would be fun to do, but a lot of times you're uh, you're up to your elbows in fucking broken shit, and you need to fix it. And so, uh, fostering a relationship with colleagues in some cases doesn't really help you all that much with that. Um, if you have friends that you work with or people that you're friendly with, and they help you uh, with some repairs or some things that you have to do, then yeah, that's good. That's always going to be good. So I would say number one, foster relationships with colleagues. Sure. Good thing. Good idea. Good idea. Number two, communication is key. Yeah. We talked about that. I was it last week, uh, communication and I've done quite a few different podcasts on communication. doesn't seem to help. You know why? Because the fucking message is not getting through and that's part of communication. And that's why it's key because nobody's listening. Nobody's really listening. I mean, as mechanics, I, I find, and I don't know if this is if this is, uh, you know, just in my experience, but when I speak to mechanics, number one, the hearing's not so great. Number two, a lot of a mumble. You would not believe the fucking level of mumbling that goes on in my shop. <laughs> what? I still didn't fucking hear you. Could you say it in English, please? Communication is key. Yes. Speaking clearly. Yes. Being able to be understood. Yes. All that shit's important. Is it the key to handling conflict in the workplace? Nah, you know what? I got to say, I'm on the fence about this one, okay? Because sometimes if somebody says something nasty about you and you can't hear them or you can't understand them because they mumble, you might be better off, you know, instead of going up to them and go, excuse me, what did you fucking say? Oh, I uh, I said, uh, that's a hole in the ground over there. Oh, okay, instead of what he really said, okay? Number three, learn to listen to coworkers. Kind of goes along with number two. Yeah, well, do you want to listen to coworkers? I'll be honest with you. Uh, you may not want to listen to coworkers because I, I find it... Uh, and this is true a lot, that the shit they're talking about, I'm so completely uninterested in, and it's juvenile in a lot of cases, and I can't I can't single myself out of that category. It might be obscene, and it might be something I don't want to hear. It might be something I shouldn't hear. Learn to listen to coworkers. Yeah, I think that you have to, uh, you should listen to them when they're speaking to you. Otherwise, you should probably not listen to them. Communication is key and learning to listen to coworkers is part of making that communication is key. Sure. You want to talk to the people you work with. You want them to help you. You want to help them. If you are, if you fostered a relationship with them, you may be willing to do a, a lot of different things to help them out. If not, uh, listening to coworkers is uh, actually a major sort of a, a, a thing that you would do for somebody that you work with because sometimes the things that are said, especially if you have fostered an excellent relationship with people, might not have anything to do with fixing cars, might have something to do with the well-being of that particular coworker. And that, you know, and I don't want to sugarcoat that at all. I mean, I, I roll into work sometimes and I'm just angry, like yesterday, exactly. Uh, yesterday was Saturday and I, I dislike working Saturday so fucking much. It's unbelievable. I just hate it. It's like, yeah, you know, you work all week to get to the weekend, and then there you are on a Saturday at fucking work. It blows. There's a special place in hell for people who have it 
retail business or repair shop that's open six fucking days a goddamn week. And there's some out there, I'm sure, somewhere that are open seven. And if you have to work on a Sunday, I can't even begin to describe to you how fucking wrong that is. So what you bring with you to work and how you are at work, and even depending on what day it is, it, it makes it important to have to listen to coworkers. Because if somebody said to me, hey, do you like working on Saturdays? Ah, fuck no. And the next one, as far as how to handle conflict in the workplace, is probably the number one answer. You know, studio audience was surveyed. Number four should really be number one. As far as our particular situation goes, as shop employees, as employees of an auto repair shop, number four, act and react objectively in the workplace. And I will be the first to admit, boys and girls, because some of you out there who might know me are shaking your head going, holy shit, did he just say that? I am honestly one of the most, uh, oh, let me find the right Right way to put this. I fly off the handle better than fucking everybody I know. I am so good at going off. Um, and I will I will freely admit to you. Now, I don't want to make excuses because that's what it's going to sound like. But uh, early on in my career, I struggled with hypertension, which is high blood pressure, which used to make my brain fucking boil. And I mean, almost literally boil. I mean, I used to just get, I had a hair trigger, uh, which is a sort of a hereditary thing. And I would, I would go off like a nuclear weapon i really would i would just shouting obscenities throwing shit i was i was not really a model employee i never have been but i used to be so fucking angry oh my god i mean every little thing would set me off and you know what honestly every little thing still sets me off but i'm a lot more zen with it now than i used to be uh like i said i did have high blood pressure and all that shit and that did that really I mean, it almost got me fired in in several situations. I mean, people don't really want to have to put up with that. So to say to you that number four, act and react objectively in a worse place is not relevant. No, that's the number one answer, folks. People did not want to be around me when I was angry. They did not want to be around me, and it tainted how they treated me almost all the time. Uh, but what I have, uh, I have taken, I have medication I take to help corral the hypertension and plus to my age has mellowed me out quite a bit so i'm not that angry tool throwing cocksucker that a lot, a lot of people if some of you are listening know from the past i'm not that guy although i do uh, occasionally bark out obscenities my favorite being the one that rhymes with truck uh and yesterday i was even doing that you know it's like why is this like this and then you know it's a series of them you know i'm not going to demonstrate for you that was yesterday and plus Probably some of the people I live near are still asleep. It's early, actually. Act and react objectively in the workplace. I think it's tough for us because sometimes you get employees. And let me just rephrase this, okay? Because what I find in, in shops that I've been in is that there are a lot of people who don't do anything who aren't technicians. And uh, their lack of any kind of input or effort makes our job more difficult. They're not available to help with certain things. And I'm pointing a finger pretty pretty squarely at management. There's problems that come up and they're not, they're not proactive, they're reactive. And when they have a reactive action to something that has occurred, it, it's typically the wrong thing to do. And they don't consider for one minute that perhaps they could have head, headed this problem off at the pass by being proactive. And then after that, 
they will solve the problem on an individual basis instead of putting into place some kind of policy or procedure, which would effectively keep that from happening again. They don't do that. They don't look ahead. They're always, they're always going to be managing from behind. They're always going to wait for problems to show up, solve that singular problem, and then just sit back and wait for it to happen again before somebody who's smarter than them comes along and, and takes care of the situation with a permanent type of a solution. Now, uh, this is and this doesn't go on with everybody, obviously, but uh, it there are a lot of lazy fucking people that we work with in our workplace who aren't technicians. And sometimes there are lazy technicians too, lazy mechanics, but they typically don't, you know, especially if you work as a flat rate mechanic, you have a lazy technician, that doesn't affect you at all. That doesn't affect you at all. If that guy's only going to work on one car a day, great, that leaves the rest of them for you, right? If your salary and he makes the same amount of money as you do, then, you know, you kind of get upset with them and you feel like it's not fair. Okay, but still, you're getting paid. You do what you do. They do what they do. It's a lot less than what you do. Yeah, who gives a fuck, right? If the manager's not going to address the situation, who gives a shit? Where it becomes a big problem is if you work in a team system where all the money, all of the hours, let me put it that way instead, all the hours get pooled and you turn like 70, 80 hours in a week and and Mr. Jerkoff, fuck off in the showroom kind of guy, uh, only turns 20. He gets, He's going to get paid in that particular case. He's going to get paid for 50 hours and you're going to get paid for 50 hours because you you get paid in a team kind of a system where all the money gets pooled and you're going to be very angry with him and you're going to want to fucking behead that fucker. This has happened in the past to me as well. Act and react objectively though. Let me just get back to that particular point. Act and react objectively in a workplace. Technicians, in my opinion and in my uh, personal experience, are typically not a real passive lot, okay? We can be, okay, if we get into a situation where we need to ask people for something that we are pretty sure they don't want to give us, read, i.e. raises. Uh, it, it always amazes me that mechanics and technicians will just clam right up. And uh, let me just address that really quickly and we'll move on here. Okay, If you are a mechanic or a technician in a, in a workshop, in a dealer or an independent shop, or even if you work for yourself, <laughs> you can ask yourself for a raise. No, uh, what I mean seriously is that if you feel like you're not paid what you're worth, you are going to have to speak up. You are going to have to get into the grill of the people who have control of these things. And you're going to have to say something to them. And it's going to have to be confident and forceful. Say, listen, I come in and I do this job for you and you pay me shit. Okay. Do you understand? I need more money. And if you don't pay me more money, I will fucking grease the wheels. And there it is, boys and girls, the reason for the podcast. Okay. Don't be passive aggressive when it comes to that shit. Okay. You can be passive aggressive about a lot of shit when it comes to the pay, when it comes to these sorts of things where, you know, you're compensated for what you do. You got to fucking stand up for yourself. You've got to speak out and you've got to get right in somebody's face and you got to not worry about what the fuck they think about it. Because if you don't do that, they will not make a change. Nobody is out there really, honestly, in my opinion, okay, nobody is out there aggressively trying to get somebody else a raise for a job that they think that they're overpaid for. And that's the problem is that they think that we're overpaid. A lot of people, I think, in management think that mechanics, you know, if they make anything more than $25 an hour, which is ridiculous nowadays, that they're overpaid. And then you go and you look at the labor rate that they charge people. That's where the overpayment comes in. <laughs> okay, act and react objectively in a workplace. I've skirted around it. You need to learn how to behave. And I could have said that to myself many occasions. You need to learn how to behave. And if you have problems, 
regardless of what they're with, whether they're with a car, if they're with parts or with service management or a service advisor or a fellow technician or even with people at home, you need to react objectively uh, in the long run. And I can tell you this from experience in the long run. If you handle uh, some of the conflicts that you have in the workplace objectively and maybe passively even, if you could handle these things in a more user-friendly kind of a way, it's going to work out better for you, okay? You can always go to the extreme. Your Uncle Jimmy does sometimes, and sometimes I think people resent him for that sort of thing. You might think that I'm out there yelling and screaming all day long about this, that, or the other thing and trying to get people to pay me more and bring me easier work to do, work that pays more and and not bring me garbage, but it, it doesn't work that way. And I don't do that anymore because it was never effective in the past. Why would it be effective now? The only thing we have going for us is that even if we act and react unobjectively at work, if we're just so obnoxious and mean and evil and just say nasty things to people and do nasty things and play horrible, disgusting, practical jokes on people. And, you know, if we can fix the cars, people are going to tolerate us. There is a shortage out there, folks, a big shortage, and nobody is really actively looking to get rid of anybody in their shop, unless, of course, they're stupid. And in some cases, there are cases where they will actually cut cut somebody loose that is doing the job as far as being an auto mechanic or a mechanic of any type uh, because their uh, their personality is so objective there's the because their personality and and then it will cut people loose because their personality is is so objectionable all right they just can't tolerate some of the shit you do and they will send you on your way and that's something that's one of the ways that conflict in the workplace can be handled okay so you're going to need to learn to act and react objectively in a workplace you have to find a level that'll work for you if you're uh, unreasonable about it. Your uncle Jimmy was unreasonable about it for a long time. Uh, people, and one of the, <laughs> I, I laugh because I talk about this with people all the time and I don't understand it even a little bit. To, and this is just the God's honest truth. There are a lot of times when I get angry and believe me, I spend a, uh, I spend a fair amount of time angry at this, that, or the other thing. Uh, a lot of things that bother me, but I'll spend some, I'll get angry about something. And if I have like a, a, a tirade or a tantrum or or just basically go insane uh for some reason a lot of people that i'm around seem to find it funny and i'm I'm never gonna understand that i really i have tried but there's something about when your uncle jimmy throws a tantrum or goes off on something uh and sometimes it involves the destruction of something but people just honestly honestly laugh out loud and and it actually i got to be honest with you too it helps okay because they're laughing at me makes it obvious to me that it's as ridiculous as it really is okay so uh i have learned <laughs> i've learned it's not that i don't like to entertain i kind of do like to entertain uh but uh <laughs> uh it's not good for the old uh central nervous system and for the heart and all that other shit that goes on in there. I have to try to learn how to act and react objectively in a workplace. Yes. And you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people I work with who have got it down and I could probably learn from them if I thought about it for more than a minute, but uh, acting and reacting objectively in a workplace, it's a big thing for us because, you know, if you've got, uh, if you've got a shop situation where people are just cramming shit up your ass all day long and you can't get anything done and, and, you know, parts is, shit hammering you and management wants to know why you're you know why it's not working and oh there's so many things that could set you off and yet you're the one who has to act and react objectively well 
You're going to need a little help with that one, I think, in some cases, okay? But we need to try to do that. I need to try to do that. I will freely admit. I'll look in the mirror and say, if you need to calm down, asshole. All right, number five, uh, identify recurring conflict situations. Now, this is something that uh, I, I, want to, I want to throw this one right into management slap, okay? Because if you have an individual who works next to you, let's say, you know, you have multiple bays and you have an individual who works next to you. And for some reason, he's some, he's a piece of shit for whatever reason. I mean, he might, he might have poor hygiene. He might make a huge mess. He might take your shit. He might throw stuff at you or not at you, but it ends up hitting you or, you know, I mean, there's a million things that can go on when you have to work next to somebody in a shop situation. If you can identify the situation, and obviously in that particular case, it should be fucking obvious uh, to someone who can make a change, and they don't. Uh, well, then, then the conflict is is going to overflow, and your conflict cup is going to be full all the time, and it can spill, and the conflict can wash over you, and it it can just cause a situation to spiral out of control, and you may have to grease the wheels. I mean, I have left jobs because of my uh, inability or my lack of desire to deal with some of the uh, personalities of the people I work with. They're there. They're going to be there. They're working there. They like it. They like the way they behave. They like the way they act. They, and no amount of uh, my complaining to them or explaining to them that they're an asshole is going to fix that. So I put distance between us and don't show up every day and work somewhere else. This happens. This has happened in the past. I'm not going to put up a lot of bullshit. I have to put up with bullshit from me which is enough. Believe me, it's enough. I don't want to have to go to work and deal with bullshit from other people. Uh, so there's some, there, like I said, there's some bullshit I can deal with. There's, there's some I can, there's some I can't though. And if it's something that nobody is going to do anything about, or if there's something that I can't do anything about, then, then a lot of times I'm going to have to grease the wheels. If I can identify those situations, that's great, but that doesn't help me. That isn't going to help me. I have to have people who are uh, sensitive to my, uh, concerns and listen to me and uh haven't found that yet anywhere they went on and there's some more there's more content here that may help us how many are there there's five points here i'm gonna go through them really quick i will have to like i said i will have to modify them from the white collar world into the blue collar world that we live in number one foster relationship with colleagues uh we talked about that one a relationship in this context does not necessarily mean friendship or closeness, but rather points to a mutual understanding in which members of a team agree upon roles and boundaries in the workplace. Sure. Roles and boundaries. I think that uh, boundaries is where we all run into trouble. Boundaries. You have to have boundaries. Sure. It makes sense. You know, uh, eating somebody's lunch out of the out of the refrigerator. That's a boundary you should not cross. Don't do that. That's disgusting. Get your own fucking food. You're not a fucking Skid Row bum, for fuck's sake. Eat your own fuck. Get your own fucking food. Look, if you do it enough, you will. Uh, you got to read some of these stories. People have put all kinds of fucking crazy shit in their food when somebody keeps fucking eating it, and then they find out who it was. And then you know what the the thing is? I mean, like the guy who drank the milk who was lactose intolerant and had diarrhea for three days. Nobody was fucking sorry for that guy at all. He got what he fucking deserved. So let's let's keep that as a boundary we're not going to cross, okay? Don't do that. Don't eat other people's foods. What the fuck? You know, you could have, and it, it could be fatal. I mean, I'm not even fucking bullshitting you here. You could have a re allergy to nuts, and you eat something to somebody else's. You don't know. Maybe they fucking got a random nut in there. That could fucking kill you because you wouldn't know. 
is you didn't make it. So I think you'll probably find that people who have uh, allergies, deadly sometimes, some cases, uh, severe allergies to nuts, they don't eat other people's shit probably. Uh, unless, of course, they want to have a fucking problem. They want to have a fucking uh, anaphylactic situation. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's what else it says. If you want to establish a professional relationship with a coworker, it can be beneficial to do so in a systematic way. Wow, there's actually a systematic way? Holy fuck. There is, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I take exception to that particular phrase here because in, in the shop, there really is, it's systematic, but it is so random also too at the same same time. So uh, trying to do something in a systematic way, sure, that would be great. It just doesn't work that way. I think a lot of the things that happen in repair shops, be it whatever kind, uh, they happen in a very random way, okay? And and every time you try to add some sort of a protocol to it, some kind of a routine to it, things come along, they just fuck that right over. Systematic would be nice. It would appeal to my uh, my sense of uh, uh, my self-diagnosed OCD, but it's just not going to happen. ROs come in at random. Problems come in at random. Uh, things that you have to do come in at random. Uh, even though you're doing the same thing day after day after day, it's different every time. So a systematic way would that would be great, but uh, I don't feel like it. The the borders the uh, the borders that a systematic way would have to follow would have to be very flexible, very nebulous. Okay, you can call a meeting and discuss the following. Well, okay, uh, here's the thing: I have found that team meetings with technicians are not a good thing. They could be a good thing, but they're typically not. One of the things I find is that when you're in a, a shop or a dealership, the beat goes on, baby. Uh, broken cars come in, and they come in all the time, and there's always work that's left over from the day before, and maybe there's a job lingering on your bay that's been there for a week. I've got one that's been lingering for two months now. Uh, there's just no way that I can take even 10, 20, 30 minutes to sit in a meeting and talk about why things aren't getting done uh, because the number one topic would be this meeting is why things are not getting done. We don't really have meetings. And when we do and we express problems and things that need to be addressed to our managers and the people who are supposed to handle these sorts of things, eh, they're not listening. They're not listening. I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to bring it to you. They just, they could, you know, you might even see them with a yellow legal pad writing down what you're saying. But have they ever fucking done anything to correct a problem that you're having? It happens so fucking rarely that that makes these meetings just a, a sheer fucking waste of time. You could call a meeting and discuss the following. Yeah, you could call a meeting and you could just fucking sit around with your fingers up your nose. You're going to get the same results. It's ridiculous, okay? Here's what they go on to say about this whole having a meeting and discussing the following. What role each person has and what their respective responsibilities are. Uh, if you're working in a shop as a technician, I'm pretty sure you should know what your role is. And you should know what your respective responsibilities are. I find that that last part, res respective responsibilities, are a very, very gray area. Very gray area. Because some mechanics I've worked with, and I think a lot of them, and I can't, I'm not going to hold anybody up and say, oh, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. I'm just going to say it shouldn't be this way, but it is. And that's and, and that's because of the people we work for. Okay. And what I'm talking about here is when you fix a car, how responsible are you for anything else on that car? You're not at all. You're a flat rate guy and they're paying you to change the water pump. Boom, change the water from get the fucking thing out. Should you set the tire pressures? Well, should you? Yes, you should. Are you going to? Fuck no. You know why? Wait for it. 
one of our famous grease the wheel sayings, I don't get paid for that. And it's true, you don't. Why should you do something that you don't get paid for? There's no answer. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't do anything you don't get paid for. Should it be part of the repair? Yes. Should they somehow find a way to pay you individually for these things? Yes. Are they going to? Fuck no. They're going to tell the customers, and the customers are going to assume, and the service manager and the service advisor are going to assume that you're going to do certain things to these cars when you're done fixing them. You're going to, I don't know, fill up the tire pressures. You're going to fill the washer solvent, check the coolant, check the oil. You're going to look at the tires. You're going to look at the brakes. You're going to do all of this stuff. You're going to look at the chassis and the exhaust. You're going to look for engine oil leaks. You're going to look for transmission fluid leaks, transfer case fluid leaks, differential fluid leaks. You're going to do all of that shit. They assume incorrectly, I might add, that you're going to do all of that shit. Guess what? I would say, and here's some made up Grease the wheels numbers. I'd say 50% of you don't do any of that shit. You get paid to put a water pump in. You put the water pump in. Boom, that motherfucker goes outside. It's fucking done. It's going to roll out the door in the, exactly the same condition except for the water pump as it came in it. Now, I mean, I've told you a few thousand times and, and it, it's going to have, it just sounds like bullshit. I, I get it. But I do all that dumb little shit. And even on our repair orders at the shop I work at, they put down, oh, complimentary inspection. And then we're also required, we're required, I would say requested is more of a better word. It's requested of us that we do a video. Um, and then we do that stuff, but that is stuff that we don't get paid for. So they can't understand why some people don't want to do it. I understand exactly why they don't want to do it. And I would never in a million years pester anybody in my shop anyway to do any of those things if they don't fucking want to. Because if they're not paying for it, fuck them. Don't do it. Fuck them. They're going to have to fucking, you know, what role each person has and what their respective responsibilities are. Well, as a manager or as a shop owner or a general manager, your respective responsibilities are to pay me for everything I do. If you're going to try to get me to do things that you're not going to pay me for them, you got some more work to do. Not getting fucking paid for doing things is against the fucking law. Talk to your state labor board sometimes. Give them a call. Just say, hey, if somebody tries to get me to do something at work where I am as a flat rate technician and I don't get paid for that, uh, what's your take on that? They'll be like, well, you know, it's uh, slavery. I mean, that's a loose that's a loose description of that. But still, you don't pay somebody for something and you expect them to do it. There's that, okay? What role each person has and what the respective responsibilities are. Uh, yeah, well, that's definitely going to help you foster relationships with colleagues, sure. Uh, especially if, uh, if you know, you're, you're a technician who's well-versed in one particular form or another of repair with a, a specific system and you help each other, sure. That's going to help you foster a relationship with, with your colleagues. Number two, number the second point here, there was three points here, possible conflicts that may have taken place in the past and how to best deal with the issues going forward. Look, uh, what happened in the past has to stay in the past. It's like being in Vegas. Whatever happens there has to stay there. You know, you can, how much, how much can you hold on to as far as the past goes? Well, I'll tell you, there's some people who can hold on to stuff that's gone on in the past a uh, great deal and it can affect how they do their job or how they interact with other people sure i mean if you have you know a guy at work and uh he had a conflict with another guy at work and maybe they got along reasonably well at one point but somebody said something that was out of line and somebody got punched in the face you think the two of them are going to want to talk to talk to each other ever again probably not 
You may have to find a way to deal with that situation as someone who is in charge of of a group of mechanics, like a foreman or a, a service manager or you know a team leader of some kind. Okay, you may have to you may have to fucking say, listen, you said something shitty. He punched you. That shit's over. We need to start getting along better so that we can get the job done better, so that we can make more money for the shop and make money for make more money for ourselves in the process. Okay, let's let's do that instead. Okay, this whole being angry thing is fucking long gone. Make it go away. Okay, don't need that shit. Make it stop. And then there's rules. It says here, fostering relationship with colleagues. The last point was rules with regards to meetings and email etiquette. Um, you know what? Strike that. Get rid of that. Okay. Uh, like I said, meetings, meetings with the technicians have, I have found 99.9% of them are just fucking worthless. Usually what it is is management comes down and says, oh, you guys are doing this wrong. You guys are doing that wrong. You need to stop doing that. And where it's like, yeah, fuck you. Meetings that I've had uh, with you know, when we have meetings of everybody in the shop, they don't generally produce any fucking results. None. It's, and it's mostly just to point out that we're fucking up and not doing the job. I have said many times that if you have, a, and, I, and I mean this honestly too, if you have a meeting with your technicians, and uh, you know, I hate to say this out loud, it's, but it's true, is the technicians have feelings too. <laughs> We're sensitive people. We, you know, we need to know that we're doing the job right and 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 that we're appreciated, which is in really short supply. But if you have a meeting with your technicians, you need to use the sandwich method. Okay, the the message has to be positive because it, the the worst thing that one of the worst things that has ever happened at a meeting this this happened and it was fairly recent too. I just want to say this: we had a meeting. And the service manager was going on about stuff that, uh, you know, uh, maybe we were doing, maybe we weren't doing, maybe one guy was doing or two guys were doing and the rest of us, you know, like 20 out of us uh, weren't doing. And he decided he wanted to take that point in time to point out to us that, uh, you know, things aren't being done correctly. Uh, and what it turned out to be was that things weren't being done correctly by one or two people. And that instead of addressing those two people, he thought that he would address the entire the entire group of technicians, all of us at, at the same time, and then decide in his mind that the, the, the problem has gone away when it didn't didn't go away, it didn't change at all. Um, and then at the end of that particular meeting, uh, yours truly brought up the fact that we are getting fucking destroyed by inflation and that we're in a recession and that we're getting killed with, with uh, costs that have gone up massively. Thank you, uh, Brandon that we would, uh, we would all like raises. And this meeting turned uh, from a semi-negative meeting to an extremely negative meeting. And the answers that we were given uh, about why we're not going to get raises pissed everybody in the room off. Every single technician stated that the answer that we got from our manager was bullshit and that a lot of those guys just started updating their resume. It was crap. It was total fucking crap. And uh, that that was uh, uh, one of the rules that I had came up with is the message has to be positive. If you got to say something bad, um, you're going to have to use a sandwich method. Like I was saying, the sandwich method is uh, basically where you praise people for what they're good at, which they, we don't hear enough of at all. And then you bring up whatever it is that, that needs to be fixed. And then you put a piece of bread on the other side saying, listen, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened. And everything else you guys are doing, you're doing a fine job. Of it. I just need to have that one thing taken care of. And it makes you look like a hero. You know, I'll give you an example if you like. You come out and you say to your technicians, listen, guys, I appreciate the hard work. 
Uh, you guys have really come through for us in the last couple of months, especially. We've had a lot of difficult uh, repairs that have had to be made. You've all done all your, the best you can at all of them. That's great. And I appreciate it. And I want you to know that you're, you're, you're definitely doing a great job here. Okay. Now we have a situation though, however, where some people are phoning it in and doing the least possible repair work that they can do to a car and putting it out on the street. It's not good enough. It is not good enough. And I've had some comebacks. Okay. So if you are one of these people who is, seems to be getting an abnormal amount of comebacks, you need to step your shit up. And if you're not sure who you are, if you're one of these people, I will be glad to point it out right now if you would like. But I think you know who you are. If you get a lot of comebacks, you are going to need to pull your head out of your ass. I want to hear a and a s. And that should be the sound of your head coming out of your ass. And I want you to start doing a job right Okay, rededicate yourself to getting the shit done correctly. Okay, because as a group, this group of people does a fantastic job and I want you to be part of that group. I don't want to have to single that guy out or this guy out and say, oh, he sucks. You know, the rest of the guys can fix everything. These two guys, eh, they're putting in the minimum amount of effort and it shows. Okay, but listen. I just want to let you know that we're doing, we're, we're all doing a fantastic job. A couple of people need to step up. I appreciate what you do for me. Now, if you listen to that as a technician, you may or may not be the guy who's fucking up. You don't really even know. You've had two comebacks in the last month, but then you find out that the guy next to you has had 10 comebacks in the last month. You realize it's not you. So maybe if you have fostered a relationship with this guy at all, maybe if you know him, maybe if you've even been to his house or maybe you've had drinks with him or you've had lunch with him on several occasions or you know his, you know his wife's name maybe or his girlfriend's name or you know, you know what kind of dog he has and what his name is, you can say to him, say, listen, man, if you're having trouble with comebacks i'll give you a hand maybe i'll you know we'll go over and make sure everything's good we'll go out and test drives whatever we got to do we'll help you out that's the kind of relationship you need to foster not going to mention it here because this is the kind of shit that really doesn't go on uh in a cubicle farm okay number two communication is key many conflicts take place due to a lack of communication and understanding now i beat the shit out of this last week and uh i i think it was effective i don't know if it helps you out if you're not good at communicating that's fine that's fine. If other people have to make a little better, little better effort to understand what you're saying, or maybe to get the gist from you, or maybe even just get you to talk, that's a, that's another thing too, altogether. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's okay. Uh, but you need to make the effort. Many conflicts will take place if you don't do that. You know, sometimes, I mean, it could be just as stupid as parking a car in a guy's way when he's trying to get out of his stall. You can yell out the window, hey, are you moving out? Get the fuck out of my way. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, too, is as technicians, and I find that it's uh, when it comes to the use of the English language or any language for that matter, uh, obviously the podcast is in English, you're going to find in a repair shop situation that the language is typically fairly explicit. It is direct and to the point, and you are going to hear things that if you heard them anywhere else in any other context would probably make your stomach turn, really, quite frankly. And then this podcast is an example of that. Now, we have uh, experienced a very, uh, what do I want to say, detrimental effect due to the explicit nature of the podcast. Nobody wants to sponsor this fucking thing, and I don't fucking blame them. I mean, when you're trying to sell things to people and you say the word fuck, they suddenly don't want to buy a fucking thing. Well, fuck them. They can fucking kiss my fucking ass. I don't care, okay? But the <laughs> Because the, the language in the shop is typically explicit because we want to be understood, 
Okay, and I'll give you a perfect example. And this is from my childhood, and this has just worked perfect. I could, my mother was a little bit on the stingy side. I loved her very much, and I don't want to say anything bad about her at all, but she was a little stingy at times. And if you wanted to borrow money from her, you needed a dollar or two dollars or even five. It was going to be tough to get money from her, and you had to be very specific and, and get right in her grill and talk to her and say, I got to have money for this, okay? Uh, what I used to say was, if I said to my mom, Mom, I need five dollars, she wouldn't hear me. Mom, I, I need $5. Still not hearing me. Mom, I need five fucking dollars. She turned to me and said, what did you say? I said, Mom, I need $5. I need $5. People don't hear you unless you punctuate your language with like a, a meat tenderizer of explicit language. You say to somebody, say, hey, get out of my way. And they're like, okay, I'll, I'll get out of your way in a minute. No. You say, get the fuck out of my way. That's kind of an immediate thing. Do you understand? In the shop, this is why it works that way. If people are fucking shit up, you tell them. Say, you need to stop messing up. That doesn't work as well as if you don't quit fucking messing up, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. You understand there's a big difference there. And when you're talking to people who are, and I and I add myself to this list, okay, but we're not very highly educated in many cases. You want to be understood? That's the best fucking way. Right there. It's the best fucking way. Communication is key. Fucking spice it up. Tell him he's a fucking asshole. He'll get the message. You know, just say, you know, when you make a mess at the tire machine, it's it's just, it's not very friendly, you know. It's Instead of saying something like this, which is what your Uncle Jimmy would say, who the fuck keeps messing this fucking area up? I'm going to kick your fucking ass. One way gets results, the other one gets laughs, usually. And they keep messing it up anyway, because they know I'm not going to beat this shit out of them, which I should. But if I beat this shit out of them, I'm going to have to talk to HR and find another place to work. And that's not a good thing. So no, just say no to violence, kids. It gets shit done, but, you know, people don't want that shit to get done. So number three, this is, you know, it's a short list and I'm going a little long, but we'll get through it all here. Uh, Bear with me. Bear with me, you little pricks. Number three, learn to listen to coworkers. Yeah, well, (laughs) here's another one that doesn't fit very well. Sometimes you don't want to listen to your coworkers in a shop. You know, you're, uh, and and this is true. And I don't want to, I'm not going to call it anybody. I'm not going to say, oh, this is bad and nobody should do with it. We spend an inordinate amount of time shooting the shit, just talking about nothing, really, honestly. It's, it's mostly just jackassery and it's fine. Sometimes it's fine. You got, you know, you have, if you have a great relationship with the people you work with and you shoot the shit on occasions, that's the best. Really? It really is the best. It's like the reason some people show up to work. It's like, Hey, you know what? I can't wait to find out what's going on with this. And you know, we're talking about that and we're joking around we're having a good time. It makes work enjoyable of which there are very few things that actually do that with the jobs that we have. You know, there's not a lot of shit that makes our job enjoyable. I think that number one, on the list probably would be uh, having a, a a laugh with your coworkers, having a, a discussion about things that are fun and funny with your fellow employees. Okay, uh, learn to listen to them though. However, uh, if they're saying something important that's going to help you, yeah, you want to learn to listen. Um, if they're talking about, I don't know, maybe some sort of emotional problem they're having at home with their wife or their kids or something, I'm not sure about that one. You you are going to have to judge for yourself how much you want to share and in what manner with the people you work with you might have the most excellent relationship with the guy who works next to you you might go over to his house you might know his kids you might even babysit his kids who even knows you might dog sit for him you might drive him to work drive him here and there he might do the same for you 
You know, you might have a really good give and take relationship where, you know, you do things for him. He does things for you. I'm just assuming it's a him. It could be a her. But then uh, it takes a sudden dark turn. So you need to kind of draw a line and it's imaginary, but you need to draw a line as to how much you are going to involve yourself with a coworker. So uh, learning to listen to them. Sure. That's great. Uh, you know, having a, you know, a, a cry fest on the phone for four or five hours a night with a coworker, yeah, maybe not so great. So learn to listen to your coworkers, but up to a point. Okay. And, and like I was talking about uh, a second ago here is a lot of us, I find we spend a lot of time talking to each other and not fixing the fucking cars. Now, if you're not worried about making a paycheck for whatever reason, maybe you're rich, maybe you don't have a lot of bills, maybe you just have money laying around and it's not such a big deal to you. But a lot of people, it is a big deal. So if you're over there jawjacking with somebody, you know, just playing grab ass and talking and having a good time, you're not working on a car. So really what it should say is listen, to, learn to listen to coworkers, but learn when to shut the fuck up and get back to work. That's really what it should say as far as for people in, in the particular employment uh, that we're in. Do you want to be friendly? Sure, that'd be a nice idea. Uh, there's some people who aren't friendly. Yeah, there's lots of them, actually. Our business is chock full of people who aren't fucking friendly. I don't know what to tell you about that. Uh, should they be friendly? No, I think that in a lot of cases, the way we're treated uh, in the shop and even socially, not good. You know, I've said it before, you know, you go to work as a salesman, you're up front in the peaches and cream world of the showroom and you want to go out after work and have a drink with your friends that you work with. Boom, you just get in the car and you go to the bar. No, in a shop, if you want to, you know, finish up work and go to a bar and have a drink with your friends, you have to go home and take a shower first because you stink. You're filthy, you're greasy, you're nasty, your hair's all fucked up. You got transmission fluid on your in your hair, or maybe you got sand down your ass, down the crack of your ass from working on a car. Maybe you're just covered with grease from asshole to elbow. And what are you going to do? You're going to go to the fucking third base pub down the street with your friends and have a drink? No, because you know what's going to happen then? You're going to run into the most beautiful girl in the world, and she's going to be somewhat interested in you until she sees that you're just a fucking grease monkey, and she's going to run away screaming from you. Even though, you know, that might have been your destiny. Sorry, that went awry in a hurry. Uh, but see, that's that's the difference, okay? That is the difference. Now, uh, number four is act and react objectively at the workplace. We've talked about that, uh, acting and reacting. Uh, your Uncle Jimmy really needs to kind of uh, take this one to heart. I have, uh, I've told you, and, 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 and I mean, this is the truth, really. I've calmed down a great deal at work. I think a lot of people would not believe me. They'd be like, who is this guy? This is not the guy I used to work with. Acting and reacting objectively in a workplace can involve a lot of different things. Uh, you may be the most passive person in the world. You just show up, you do your job, you don't really talk too much to people, uh, and then at some point in time, somebody starts to uh, infringe upon your uh, your work ethic or your work area or what you say and what you do, and you don't deserve it at all, and you put up with it for a really long time, and then suddenly, fucking boom, you're on the, you're on the ground kneeling on this guy's chest and punching him in the face because he keeps pissing you off. Well, that's definitely not good, and that's a that's a really really good way to have the uh, human resources department help you grease the wheels. Okay, so acting and reacting objectively in the worst place. Yes, I think that's number one. Uh, I said it before. I think it's number one. Uh, it's number one for your uncle Jimmy. Uh, and 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 I have actually done that. Uh, like I said, there's some pharmaceuticals that work there that help a great deal. I must say, and also too, uh, age has mellowed. Uh, 
out-metal the old man behind the microphone quite a bit, but uh, you could look at the way I used to behave. If someone ever had film footage of it, or if somebody, <laughs> if somebody had recordings of it, or was able to regale you with a tale of some of the things that I had done in the past, that would be a very good primer for things not to fucking do. <laughs> I really was just a raging asshole. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably listening to this right now going, that knew me in the day and they're shaking their head. Yep, yep, he sure was. It wasn't honestly uh, because of any one person. Uh, there were some people that did piss me off, but for the most part, it was mostly my situation, a lack of appreciation and the inability to get the job done with the tools that were available. And also some of the time constraints foisted onto me by uh, a service advisor. Sometimes it was the job foisted onto me by a service advisor. I can remember one specific case where uh, a service advisor insisted that I replace a convertible top on an older car. That's not work that uh, I was I had signed up for. Not at all. I was a mechanic. I work on mechanical things. I'm not. I don't work at an upholstery shop. But this particular advisor just com- completely insisted that I do this job. And I actually did do the job. It took me a long time and I didn't really like having to do it. And and he could never understand why I might be pissed off at him. So uh, I called him a few names right to his face and, uh, you know, we went on. That's how it was. Should I have been putting a convertible top, a a, a fabric convertible top on a a frame on a car as a mechanic in a dealership? No, that shit needs to go to a goddamn upholstery shop. But no, I, I did that job and I did it. I did it. I want to say fairly well. It wasn't perfect, but uh, it, it certainly looked good and it and it worked the way it was supposed to. So you know, it was it was a success. But should that have been something that I that I do there? I don't believe so. Was it something I could do? Yes. Was it something I did do? Yes. There's a lot of yeses there. But is it something that I should have been doing? I'm still on. The, I'm still firmly in the no there. Number five here: identifying recurring conflict situations. Yeah, you got basically. I'll, I'm gonna fucking broad stroke this for you. If you got some asshole causing problems, fucking identify that asshole and get him the fuck out of there, or fucking have him change his ways. One or the other, and you can just say that to people. You can say that to people, and if you want to say it in an explicit way, go ahead. We're mechanics. Most of us are men. We should be able to handle it. Any of the women who are doing the job should be able to handle it as well. If they can't, they're going to have to learn. Uh, just go up to them and say, listen, if you keep doing that fucking shit, two things are going to happen. A, I'm going to kill you, or B, I'm going to request that you get fired, or C, I'm going to quit and leave. Now, they're always going to go, oh, I'll take C, and fuck you, okay? And then you beat them up anyway, okay? Identifying recurring conflict situations is not just with people, though, okay? So let me let me just... Let me just back away from that, okay? Number one, violence is not the answer. I mean, it does get shit done. It's kind of fucking weird, but it's not the answer. Uh, if you like the job or if you want to keep the job, if you don't want to keep the job, violence is also an answer that way too. Because if you commit some, they'll help you move your shit out the door. But if you're trying to identify a recurring conflict situation, what you got to do is look into why it happens. Don't just go, oh, this guy does this to piss me off. No, 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 no. Back up and go, why does this guy do this? He knows it pisses me off. Is it because he's an asshole or is it because it's easier to do it that way or is it because he's lazy? And I think, honestly, in a lot of situations, you're going to find that they're just lazy. You know, uh, one of the things that drives me wild at the place I work, and this is a stupid fucking thing, but one of the things that drives me wild is that these guys knock the wheel weights off the, the tires and rims that they're trying to balance and they just let them fucking go on the floor. 
and they're all over the place. And if nobody cleans it up, which nobody's going to, then it it, it, it becomes really kind of a hazard, really. And I just don't like it because it just shows that you have a lack of respect for other people and where you work. So I'll clean them up. But what is happening lately is I've decided that uh, I have identified certain people who do this, who just knock wheel weights off of a wheel and let them go on the floor and get jammed in the balancer and all that shit. And I will pick them up and I will go over and I will throw them in their bay and see how they like walking on them all day. Is it going to fix the problem? No, it's not going to fix the problem. But have I identified a recurring conflict situation and uh, put my uh, assholeness to good use and thrown these wheel weights into their fucking bay so that they can fucking see what a piece of shit they are for leaving them laying around for other people to step on. But uh, it, that that in of itself is extremely passive aggressive. And it, it's it's that way for a reason because they're not going to get the message any other way. They don't see themselves as the problem. If somebody was to catch me, hey, why do you throw wheel weights in my bay? Oh, so you can get a, you can get an idea of what it's like for the rest of us when you leave them all over the floor by the tire machine. Asshole! I didn't even use my... Uh, I've been taking drugs to cure my uh, delayed insult syndrome there, you know. Normally I would say, oh, now you know what it's like for the rest of us when we have to walk on wheel weights everywhere we go in the shop. Long pause. Asshole. <laughs> Sorry. That's just, <laughs> that's just your Uncle Jimmy. He's getting a little punchy. When the, when the podcast goes long, some of the craziest shit comes out towards the fucking end, okay? Now, there were a lot of different things here uh, that uh, go on with trying to handle conflict in the workplace, uh, the ultimate uh, solution to the situation is to grease the wheels. Now, what I do is, and I think this could help a lot of you, but what I do is I like to make a list of pros and cons. I do that in a lot of situations because I have trouble making decisions, and even major ones and small ones, in my case, about what I should do. And if I make a pro and con list, that makes any decision that I'm going to make either jump off the page at me and say, dude, why are you still doing this? Or you should just keep doing it because it's better than the alternative. If you want to make a pro and con list, I would I would say that that's a good way to solve some of your problems. What do you like about work? Well, you know, work is, you know, the, it's well lit. The shop's fairly clean. I like a lot of the guys I work with. A lot of the work, I can do all of the work that they bring me. I like the brand I work on, you know, if you're a dealer. Uh, if you're at an independent, you'd be like, well, the work they bring me is the kind of work I can do. On the on the con side, it might be, hey, the, the owner's an asshole, the service manager's an asshole, the advisors are lazy, stupid assholes, the lock kids are fucking stupid, uh, my fellow technicians are jerk-offs sometimes, the parts department can't get anything right. You know, and once you get done making a list of all the things that, that are good about where you work and bad about where you work, you can sort of look at stuff and say, okay, this can be fixed, that can be fixed, that can't be fixed, this needs to stay the same, hopefully. Uh, if they fix this, it's going to change this. I don't want that to change, but I need that to change. And uh, here's the thing, and I've I, this is an Uncle Jimmy thing. If you show up on your manager's doorstep with a problem or a complaint, which is basically a problem in the in the uh, in the audible sense. You should show up also with a solution. Now you have to realize that some solutions are not doable. You know, I mean, like if you show up and say, "Look, I can't work with this fucking guy next to me anymore," uh, he's got to go. If your solution is that he's got to get fired, that's never going to happen. Everybody works somewhere for a reason. They talked to him in an interview and they felt he could do the job. He or she could do the job, and they hired him. And maybe they do. Maybe they actually do do the job. But in the process of doing the job, they piss you off to a. A massive extent and maybe you have to move bays away from him or maybe you have to move to a separate location or maybe you just have to quit but having your manager fire somebody because you don't like them that's probably not going to happen 
Here's just a little bonus at the end here. It's common interview questions about conflict. Here are a few questions your interviewer might ask you about conflict with example answers for each one. How do you deal with conflict? To answer this question successfully, assure your interviewer that you are a good listener who can accept opposing views without getting upset. You can also mention how conflict resolution should take place in a private space. This is why I don't really like team meetings or any kind of shit like that where you talk to everybody all at the same time. And if you try, and I'll tell you what, seriously, if you have a team meeting and then you single one guy out and try to make him an example, then you're just an asshole. Don't do that. That Nobody needs that. Because if you single out one of my fellow technicians and uh, dress him down for something he did wrong, that's going to reinforce my bond with him and cause me to want to work against you. These are, uh, this is a, a quick little primer as to how to, how to s- deal with a question in an interview, you're trying to get a job and they say, how do you deal with conflict? How do you, how do you deal with conflict? I actively readjust my attitude during a conflict situation is one of the examples here. This means that I strive to listen to the other person's point of view without becoming defensive. I also attempt to move the conversation to a private space. Well, yeah, sure. That's always fun, right? But uh, with, with technicians, uh, is there a private space that isn't a bathroom? No, there isn't really usually. Maybe a break room, but it's always full of people watching golf because they're salespeople and that's all they have to do. Can you recall a time of conflict with a coworker? Um, yeah, yeah, I can always do that. If you say you know, that you don't have conflicts with your coworker, you're just fucking lying, basically, okay? You'll want to talk about what they call is the, uh, the star method, the star approach here. And this may provide helpful answers. And this is an acronym. STAR is an acronym that stands for situation. Briefly explain the issue you are dealing with in a positive and constructive way, if you can. Uh, Task, describe your role in the situation. Action, discuss what you did to resolve and address the situation. And result, emphasize what you learned. If you use the STAR method in in a uh, repair shop, what you're going to find is that the situation has two sides. Nobody is ever going to give you both sides of a story. Nobody can give you both sides of a story. If something goes wrong in the shop and you have a problem with with another person in the shop, be it whatever they are, that situation has to be explained to somebody who's going to try to resolve an issue if it get if it gets to that point. You're going to have to realize as the person who was involved in that and also the person who's trying to resolve it that everybody is going to give you exactly one side of a story, one side, and they're always going to leave out the shit that makes them look like an asshole or makes them look bad or wrong. They're always going to leave that shit out. You have to understand that. And maybe you can suss it out. Maybe you're smart enough and you listen well enough that somebody says, well, well, well t- you know, Tom took my car and he moved it outside and he threw the keys in the woods. That would be a situation where that's not good and you have to kind of do something to solve that situation. But when they talk to Tom, Tom says, well, that son of a bitch parks cars behind mine all the fucking time. I mean, every single day. Every day, he's always constantly parking cars behind mine, and I have to get out, and I have to move them. And I've asked him several times not to put cars there, but he doesn't listen to me. He just keeps doing it. He feels like the the space behind my bay is his space, and he can put whatever he wants there, and he can leave it there. And so the last time, this because this is going to be the last time, I told him that if he leaves a car there, I'm going to pull it outside. I'm going to throw the keys in the woods and he's going to be screwed. And he left it there with a smirk on his face. And I did exactly what I said I was going to do. So how do you handle that situation? You go, well, if you put cars in Tom's way, he's going to do the same thing again until you pull your head out of your ass and stop doing that. Okay. And as far as you go, Tom, I would have liked to dealt with this situation before having to help this guy find a set of fucking keys that you hurled into the woods, dick. Okay, so you're going to come out and help us find them. And you're going to stop 
fucking creating this situation. Okay? All right. Action. That was the action that we took. The result is that if these two fucking guys can't get along, move them. Move the kid who keeps parking cars behind other people somewhere where if he parks a car behind, then the guy next to him, he's either going to get beaten up, killed, and disposed of, or that person is not going to care at all because they work so slowly that they hardly ever pull a car out anyway. And Tom can continue on with what he does and he can make you money. The result is the result of what you do, of the action that you take is, is a direct result, is a direct outcome of the solution of the problem. Okay. You have to be straightforward and frank with the people that you're dealing with and you have to come up with viable solutions. And, and sometimes you, you, you have to, this is one of the, th- I'm just adding this myself. Okay. Sometimes you have to understand that, that people do things and they have no good fucking reason for it. They have no good reason for it. Why would you park a car behind a guy next to you constantly? Why would you do that one, two, three times a day knowing that it's going to upset him? Are you an asshole? And why do you do that? Well, I just need to put the car inside. Why? Uh, you know, you have to get to the root of the problem and then maybe solve a smaller problem than the bigger one that they're creating. Who knows? But in this particular situation, you're, this is how you're handling the conflict, by breaking it down to its smallest component, by breaking it down into its most infinite pieces and solving them one by one or just solving one problem and having it fix all the other ones. All right, now I've gone on long enough and uh, I don't want to create any more conflict with Eric. Now I want to say to you, uh, if you have conflict at work, try to handle it in the most rational and reasonable way possible. Because it makes you look like a good person. And you want to be a good person. There, And also, too, I want to tell you, there are conflicts that you are not going to be able to resolve. You're just not. Either nobody cares or somebody is going out of their way to make it suck for you. In that particular case, just remember that uh, there is an extreme, massive shortage of automotive technicians. I'm done saying ex- excruciating. It's, it's more than that now. It's massive. There's a massive shortage of automotive technicians out there. And probably of technicians in other fields too. I'm not that familiar with that, but I'm sure that there is. Everybody wants to, you know, have a job where they make a million dollars and they they wear a nice suit to work. It just isn't. It just isn't doable. There has to be people like us. And when they treat people like us like shit, it makes it, it it ruins it for us. I don't honestly want to to do this job because other sometimes other people think I'm just some kind of a scumbag. And although they're right, I don't need for them to think that. Anyway, that's enough said really here. Uh, dealing with conflict, uh, there is one ultimate way to deal with conflict. That's all I'm trying to say here at the end, okay? All right, this is Uncle Jimmy. He's going to get the fuck out of here. He's got to catch a plane and go do some training. Uh, I want to just kind of reiterate that for you guys out there. The one way that all of you could solve a conflict at work is to get more money because sometimes conflict is worth it if you have conflict and you're getting paid to deal with it good if you're not getting paid to deal with it grease the wheels get the fuck out of there but get paid hey there's a shortage of us i've said it a thousand million fucking times i'm going to say it a thousand million more times take advantage of it look for a job put a resume out there put a resume together put down your experience but on top of that get more experience get more training make yourself more valuable it works trust me Trust me when I tell you, it works. It works. When you become irreplaceable at work, they're going to have to start paying you irreplaceable at work type money. And some people are wising up that that's the way to go. All right. This is the way I go. I'm your Uncle Jimmy. I'm signing off. Have a good one. See ya.